Alright, now is our time to be honest, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see. As a matter of fact, the kids kind of let us down a little bit this morning when we said fun, and they're like, yeah. Hmm. So this is your chance, guys. This is your chance for redemption. How are you doing this morning? Good. You, you have one chance for redemption, and that's where we went. All right. So if you have your Bible with you today, uh, you can go ahead and be flipping to the book of Exodus. It's our second book of the Bible, so it's going to be real close to the front. Exodus chapter 4. All right? So when you get, uh, get Exodus chapter 4, if you will, uh, please stand with me if you're able to read the word of the Lord together. So Exodus chapter 4. Look at this product placement. It's a Bucky's cup, in, in case anybody was wondering. So, Exodus chapter 4. But Moses protested again What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, The Lord has never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, What is it? What is that? In your hand, a shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back, then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him, Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his his hand inside his cloak, or your translation may say against his bosom. And when he took it out again, His hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease, or your translation may say leprosy. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. And the Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. And when you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just pray that today in this moment, God, in this situation, Lord, that you would come and speak to our hearts God, that You would come and invade our minds, Lord, to change our heart posture to a place of humble submission to You and You alone. In Your heavenly gracious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, for the next four weeks, guys, some people within this crowd are going to be really uncomfortable. Okay? Let me just preface... Everything that is to follow for the next four Sundays with that statement. You may be uncomfortable and a bit offended at times. Lord willing. Because we are going to examine 
the role of miracles through the Bible and through our collective story of salvation in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And part of the problem is miracles have kind of caught a bad rap because of particular circles in the modern evangelical church. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, let's just say we're not going to handle snakes, okay? So some, some places have, have, have gave a bad name to the idea and the process of miracles. Diane got a bit disappointed that we're not going to play with snakes, all right? So within this passage of Scripture... There are some really big concepts in which we are to grasp or we will, in fact, miss everything. Here we have Moses, a man who was not supposed to be born. Well, at least after his birth, he was supposed to be killed. We have Moses, this one who was supposed to have died, that found home within Pharaoh's daughter's house. So in other words, within the residence of the king, we have Moses who went before his own people in an attempt to win over their hearts and their affections and was cast out. We have Moses, the murderer. We have Moses, the one that will flee. We have Moses, the one who heard from God within a bush. And here we have Moses, the one who hears. You see, within all these complex portions of Moses' account, we may find some bit of residency upon ourselves, right? There are parts of his story that will, in fact, make you feel wanted, welcome, invited, and at home. And for some, it will be the miraculous portions. And some, it will be the murderous, accused, and fleeing Portions. And regardless of where you may find yourself in this situation, there's one God above all, through all, and in control of all. See, I told you the next four weeks there will be times that you will feel rather uncomfortable. Some people. See, miracles cannot exist in heavenly form Amongst a prideful heart. When we think we are the authority position within our own lives, there is no room for the miraculous. In our account in Acts chapter 9, we saw Peter performing the same miracles that he had seen through Jesus, but not in a selfish, self-appointed hedonistic fashion, we saw Peter perform a miracle in Jesus' name. And that name is important as Jesus' name, Yeshua, literally means Yahweh saves, or there is salvation in God the Father. Yahweh meaning I am the I am. Back in chapter 3 of Exodus, we saw a very... Very detailed account of, and this is going to definitely uh, ring bells in your mind, Moses talking to a bush. Right? You've been there. Maybe not. Maybe you've talked to the bush, but you didn't hear the voice of God. 
And part of the problem is we fail to see that through this right here we are able to hear the voice of God. It doesn't always come audibly. Maybe in your case it does. But if you have failed to grasp the concept that within this very thorough account of the coming, the living, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, this is the Word of God. And for the next four weeks, I really want to examine the place of miracles in our lives. See, pride is the enemy of vulnerability. Everybody realize that. Pride is a position of saying that you are in control, you know the best, and that you are the ultimate authority figure. Vulnerability is the determination that you are not, in fact, in charge of everything before you. See, pride and vulnerability cannot coexist within. To believe the God of the Bible is to embrace a position of vulnerability. See, if you believe that all this is true and all this really happened, you have to accept the fact that you are not ultimately in control. God doesn't prove Himself through miracles, but through His power, He is revealed to those with eyes and a heart to see and believe in miracles. And part of the problem of where miracles have kind of gotten a bad reputation is we have accepted miracles as the way that God reveals Himself. Or as the way that God proves Himself ultimately. Right? And a revelation of God comes through miraculous acts. Maybe this concept makes you uncomfortable. Right? And if this concept makes you uncomfortable and you're unable to accept this concept, it is because you are on the wrong side of verse number 1. See, verse number 1 is very clear. Then Moses answered and said, What if they will not believe me and will not listen to my voice? See, what's the problem here? Moses thinks that the power, the authority... And the promise comes from Himself. Right? For they may say, Yahweh has not appeared to you. Far too many people find themselves on the wrong side of verse number 1 because they are unwilling to accept that Yahweh, God the Father, still in fact works today. To disacknowledge that Yahweh, God the Father, still works today is to say that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to save us from our sin was null and had no significance. The backbone of the Christian faith relies on this fact. In other words, said another way, to disacknowledge miracles is to disacknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you're not aware, to disacknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus 
is to accept an eternity in hell. There's not a nicer way. There's not a, 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 more, uh, a more acceptable or softened way of saying this, guys. Either Jesus Christ is Lord of all in your life, or He is not Lord at all in your life. And I get it. I could literally cut the tension in this room right now with a knife. Right? Because this is a point of contention for some people. That God still does the miraculous today. Right? And ultimately, to follow in theological prowess, no doctrine can be formed on a single verse or a single premise. And the idea that miracles or the work of God has ceased comes from First uh, or Second Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10, and it all hinges on a single word, teleos, which means complete. There's an entire camp of people who don't see the possibilities of God because they have read man into Scripture in a single verse and occurrence. That's dangerous. A single occurrence is enough to separate you from the power, the authority, and the strength of God. See, when this premise of teaching through this came to me, I said, no, I'm not going to do this. This is going to be a bit tense. Right? Your, your lack of, 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 of laugh right there in a, in a normal situation shows that you're not sure, you are not sure how to feel about this premise, right? And let me take you really quick to the book of Luke. And I think part of the problem is because far too many of us have forgotten the words of Jesus here in the book of Luke. Let me read for you verses 31 and 32 of chapter 5. He says, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Let me read that for you again. Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Just in the way that pride and vulnerability cannot coexist, pride and repentance cannot coexist. See, pride and belief in God cannot coexist. You cannot call yourself the authority position of your life and say that you believe in God the Father. The two things just cannot coexist. Simple truth.
Back in Exodus chapter 4, we're going to break this down just a little bit. Hopefully increase the tension. Right? And just really uh, turn the oven on for next week where it only gets worse from here. There we go. We're back again. You see, I, I get it. To have our pride pointed out to us is a dagger in the heart. Right? Amen? See, I, I know a man, much wiser, older man, and he said, he says to me, it's been seven years since I've been to a doctor. He said, and a sense of wellness is not what kept me from the doctor. It was a pride thing. I had to accept that I wasn't in control. You see, men, we are the absolute worst at consulting a physician when the need arises. And all the women said, Amen. There we go. Y'all are still alive out there. I can still, I can still feel a pulse out there. And you see, I, I, I get it. This, this point of emphasis here in, in verse 1, but Moses protested again, but what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord has never appeared to you? I get it, guys. See, unfortunately, there, there's, there's three camps to be in here. Those that will hear the Word of God, heed the warning, and bow the knee. Those who need to see in order to believe, which is the opposite of faith. And those who don't believe in any of it. That one's a tough pill to swallow. And there will be a day when wise men, just like Stephen Hawking, who thought they had it all figured out, have to meet the God who is ultimately in control of it all. The question in this place for you today, when that day comes, because it will come, where will you find yourself? Amen? Verse 2 says, The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Some people will reject all signs and wonders just as they've rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior. What you have to understand is that seeing God for the impossible starts with believing God, in God, all things are possible. In other words, God and impossibility cannot coexist. Moses, his staff would have been his way of authority. It would have been his way of control. It would have been what made Moses, Moses. With his staff, his sheep would follow and hear his voice. With his staff, he would be in the authority position to those who follow him. The staff, this man-made thing, 
is what other men would follow. The staff is what the creation would follow. And God tells him, if you want to follow me, this thing called pride, this thing called authority, you've got to throw it down and trust me for the impossible. Some people can't, they'll they'll never be able to cross that boundary. They'll never be able to give all they have in sacrifice and in usage of the Lord. Amen? So Moses replies, it's a a shepherd's staff. Do you you think God actually actually needed to know what Moses was holding? No, because God is all-powerful and all-knowing. What God needed Moses to do was acknowledge his limitations. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. Ladies and gentlemen, how many people are afraid of snakes? Woo! There we go! We're back alive again! I'm seeing you, I'm seeing you participate, right? It's the fear of the snake that got you there. But what I need you to understand is that the, in the eyes of the Hebrew or the Jewish reader of the scroll here, the snake meant everything. The snake or the Nahash is the Satan. God took Moses' control, has him throw it on the ground, and shows him your idea of control is the Satan that holds you back. And then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. Okay, guys, how many people ever handled a snake? It's amazing how many of the same people who are afraid of snakes are also the snake handlers. And Diane said, are you going to bring some out? And I said, absolutely not. Right? But what you need to know about snakes is if you're going to handle the snake, this is the absolute worst way that you could possibly grab this snake. Why? Because snakes have this thing called forced recoil. What does this mean? It means they can swing themselves and use your momentum to strike you. If you'll ever watch... The crocodile hunter. Rest in peace. You'll notice that his way of controlling the snake is first to position himself, right? To observe the motion of the snake. Then he uses the very top portion of the snake, crikeys. Y'all been waiting for it and I got you, okay? And what they'll do is try and shield the vision of the snake, and grab where? Behind the head. Right? Why behind the head? Because what part of the snake can hurt you? Wow, you guys get it. The the, the mouth bites. Right? When you hear a rattlesnake, oh man, there y'all go. I saw y'all crawling right there. The sound alarms you, but is the rattle the thing that you should fear? Absolutely not. Why? Because the mouth bites. So this snake means a lot more to them than just this idea of some scary creature. 
See, the snake to them represents all the evil of the world, all the bad. And so Moses reached out and in trusting God, grabs it by the part of the snake that you probably should not grab it by. Why? Because he surrendered control and trusted God. Let me pose you with a question real quick. Have you surrendered control and trusted in God? If the answer to that is no, maybe there is a reason why the idea of miracles pose within you a certain amount of tension. Right? Remember guys, to, to, to acknowledge miracles is to say, maybe I'm not in control of everything. So, verse 5, he says, Perform this sign, the Lord told him, then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, again, the Hebrew reader, this next part would really connect with them. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has really appeared to you. This is a preparation process for Moses. You see, God didn't just give him an instruction of something that he really didn't want to do, and the first time that he does it, where does he do it? In front of the people where all the stakes are really high. See, God gives him a preparation process, right? He gives him a point in time where he has to acknowledge and realize he ain't in control, and he has to surrender all the control. In verse 6, the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak or inside your bosom. I get it. You can get your snicker right there. Go ahead and do it. Okay. Let me show you, right, what this actually means. So Moses would have had an, an overcoat and a tunic, this, this innermost garment. What he's told to do is basically grab like this. This is the Hebrew. This is one of the Hebrew signs of trust. In other words, me and you, what do we do when we want to have come to an agreement. We shake hands, right? Men, women, everybody here. That, that, okay, now culturally, this was one of their ways of coming to an agreement and to a trust place. Place your hand here in a place of trust and authority with me. It's probably for the best because, here's your humor point, you ready for this? Toilet paper did not exist yet. Mm-hmm. So now you're happier with, with, the, with the bosom shake. And, right... And in the story of Jacob and Esau and God, there's a point in time, if you'll remember, that the hand is placed here on the inner thigh because, again, it's a place of vulnerability, so it's a sign of trust, right? So now that you've had your your little snicker, just realize where you see place your hand against the bosom or under the coat here just means in today's world, shake the hand, right? Shake my hand and, and, and show me that you trust me here. So the Lord said to Moses, all right, this is, this is sign number two here, guys. Now put your hand inside your cloak. All right, the last time that Moses trusted God, he got to, to be in control of the snake, right? Y'all with me? This time he's like expecting some real fireworks. Man, what are you, you going to give me 
you know, inside this cloak. Like, are you going to let me pull out a bundle of gold? So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was as white as snow with a severe skin disease. He trusted God, and what did he pull out? The last thing in the world in this society that you would have wanted to have. Ceremonial uncleanliness. See, in this society, leprosy, which is the, the common thought here is what he's speaking of, is leprosy, is thought of to be an uncurable disease and literally one of the most unclean diseases that you could have. If you were walking on the same streets as other Jews, and you had leprosy, you literally had to announce unclean so that the other Jews knew not to touch you or to come into contact with you. Because in doing so, they would be, you guessed it, unclean. This is a moment here where God tells Moses, trust me that human standards, that human expectations mean nothing. That a healing is only possible through God. And when we really start to examine miracles on the lens of God being in control, they become a bit more achievable, correct? Right? When you stop thinking that you are the provider or the source of miracles, when you accept that impossible is just practical for God, then you see He is in control and not you. Not me. And then the Lord has him put his hand, pull out a skin disease. You know in this moment there has to be like a oh moment for Moses, right? Anybody ever, like, you ever had that moment where you expect something really cool, and you reach in, you do it, and what comes out? Something not cool. Alright, maybe you're like, I don't connect to that. Well, remember being a kid and you got a kid's meal, right? Guys, follow me for a second. The year is 1996. The Power Ranger movie is the bomb. You go and get your kid's meal. And you expect to pull out Tommy the White Ranger. Alright, look, now my guys, they're like, I get it, man. And what do you pull out? The Pink Ranger, man. And you're like, at this point in time, you don't even have a sister. So you're like, I don't even have a sister. And you got the Pink Ranger. That's what kind of heartbreak that Moses feels here. Right? That was, that was like a moment for me. I don't know if you guys could catch that, but I was just really living out my childhood again and suffering a heartbreak. Okay? And so God tells him, now put your hand back into your cloak. And so Moses put his hand back in. Y'all, I'm sorry this did not happen for you with your kids' meal. You kept putting it back in and out, and it, it just remained a pink ranger. But Moses puts his hand back inside, against the bosom, in a place of trust and submission to God. And when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. In that moment, God showed him that all things that we consider affliction are temporary, and he has all control, all authority, all power, all dominion. 
Miracles become a lot more probable when you realize they don't come from you. Amen? That, I, just, I felt some of your tension leave. You're starting, you're starting to get there. Don't worry. Come back next week. We'll, we'll, just, we'll reenact the first 15 minutes all over again. And then the Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, then they will be convinced by the second sign. Unclean. Clean. Could you imagine? Right? You are one of these oppressed Hebrew slaves living under Egyptian oppression. And here you are. And Moses comes back to you, you know, the guy that killed somebody in front of you. The guy that come back and said, I'm in charge. And they're like, hmm. Of who? Because it ain't me. And now this same Moses goes, is intervened by God, comes back to you, says, I've spoke to God. And you say, sure you have. He takes his staff, by which he planned to control you and lead you, throws it on the ground, and you're like, ha-ha, you, you submit, right? You give over your power, your authority. It becomes a snake. Everything you've ever feared becomes real in that moment. Moses scoops it. It becomes a staff again. And still some people said, no, I don't, can't be. So Moses does sign number two for you. He puts his hand against his bosom. You expected the White Ranger. You didn't get it. But he brings it out. And it's sickness. It's an uncleanness. It's everything that you see wrong with the world. Moses puts his hand back in to show you that through God, all things are possible. He brings it out again and it's healed. It's whole. It's holy. And still, some people said, "Mm -mm. it's not real. Lord, help my unbelief. In verse 9, And if they don't believe you, or listen to you, even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River. There's a bit of foreshadowing here, guys. On more layers than one. There's some certain plagues that happen for Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Tell that my people go. Anybody just went back to vacation Bible school and sung that? I love you. But there's also some foreshadowing to Jesus living water, which is what the Nile would have been to these people. The Nile was their way to live. It was their source of water. Anybody know how many days a human body can go without water? I think it's three. In other words, you really need it. Right? And so Moses says, if you don't believe these two signs, scoop out the water, throw it on the ground, and it'll turn turn to blood. And what we see here is symbolic and foreshadowing of the living water that is Jesus Christ and His blood that will be cast onto the land for you and I to be made whole. 
The leper's spots can be healed only through the blood of the Lamb. In Isaiah chapter 7, there's a moment where evil king Ahaz, Jehoahaz, who does all things evil in the sight of the Lord, he is the king of Judah, which is amongst God's people, like God's, those are his people. Right? And God intervenes through a wicked king to save his people. Isaiah 7, 10-14, it says, Then Yahweh said to Ahaz, Ask a sign, here's our same word here for miracle, for yourself from, from Yahweh your God, and make it deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. In other words, make your request, make your sign be as deep as the pits of hell or as high as the heights of heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not test Yahweh. Self-righteousness here. And then he said, listen now, O house of David. It is too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of God as well. God just told Ahaz, that control thing, you can try it on men, but don't you bring that at God. Maybe that's a place where you are today. Where you say, this control thing, I can try it with men, but I don't have control over God. And therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. Through wicked kings, through wicked rulers, through man, God's providence is control of all. God the Father utilized the unfolding signs and wonders to point us to Jesus. The one who would die for our sins. Let me read for you really quick. Quote, I'm going to pray for us. So John Piper, on his Palm Sunday sermon in 2005, said this, We are the disciples of Him who died for His enemies. Are you a Christian? Then you are the follower of one who died for His enemies. Are you not a Christian? Then you are being pursued by God who died for His enemies. Jesus Christ. In fact, your presence here is part of His design to overcome the enmity between you and Him and bring you to Himself. We pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so thankful, Lord, that today, God, that repentance is still available, God. We're so thankful that today, God, that the sacrifice of Your Son, Jesus, on the cross is still enough to pay for the debt of our sin. And today, God, we are just so thankful, Lord, that the willingness of Jesus to die our death on a cross 
to carry our sins as far as the east is from the west. In your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.